And while you're opening up there, we'd like to give out some uh, Home Depot, Depot cards, uh, be able to help some of you men get your honeydew list done, amen. And uh, we had you fill out a card and drop it in the hat, and we're going to draw it out of there and give us out to you. And if you're a lucky soul, you'll have work you'll need to get done in the next few days. Amen. All right, let's see who we got here. <laughs> Don't want to be uh, accused of um, looking at the name here. Amen. All right. Dave Z. All right, you're going to have to get some work done there, Dave. Come on up. Amen. <laughs> That's what you get for sitting on the back row. Amen. I don't think you'll find any fishing lures in there. All right, who else we got here? Vince Padre. Vince, come on up. All righty, good job, man. Okay, let's see who else we got in here. Dennis Johnson. Where's Dennis? There he is. All right, Dennis. Amen. Appreciate that. Appreciate your Amen. Well, that's all we got is three cards. So you have to come to the 11 o'clock service. You get a second chance. <laughs> I want to share a message entitled, He Must Increase. In John chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse 25, says, Then arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizes, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. And he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, is fulfilled." He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all, and he that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth, and he that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be together. Thank you for this Father's Day. Uh, Lord, we're just thankful for uh, our fathers. We're thankful, Lord, for the opportunities to, to be fathers or grandfathers. We're thankful, Lord, that uh, we have a Heavenly Father who cares for us and loves us. 
uh, more than we can really uh, humanly comprehend and understand. Uh, we state it, we believe it, we read about it, but Lord, we cannot fully comprehend the depth of the love of God for us. And Lord, I just prayed you speak to us this morning. May we receive the challenge from the word of God that he must increase. Christ must be increased in each of our lives. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it getting a little chilly out there? No? Some are fanning and some are saying it's cold. So my wife will kill me for saying that. But anyway, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. And thinking of Father's Day, and I thought if fathers are going to be able to lead their homes in a proper way, if they're going to be able to provide the leadership in the church that's necessary, uh, lead within our community affairs, uh, Christ must be increased in our life. Uh, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And it's a shame when we try to live our life apart from the reality of the necessity of the power of God resting upon us. Uh, James Dobson said this, as a huge oak tree provides shelter and protection for all the living things that nest in its branches, a strong man provides security and comfort for every member of his family. He knows who he is as a child of God and what is best for his wife and children. His sons need such a man to look up to and to emulate. They disrespect wimpy dads uh, who are intimidated by their wives and whose emotions hang on their sleeves. Does that sound corny or contrary to everything you've heard? So be it. Men were designed to take care of the people they love, even if it involves personal sacrifice. When they fulfill that responsibility, their wives, sons, and daughters usually live a greater peace and in harmony. Uh, the necessity for men to lead their homes in a biblical way, for men to live their life for the glory of God and not, not live our lives for the purpose of trying to get money or trying to gain prestige in our community, but rather knowing God has given us the responsibility to care for our, our wives and our children and to guide our homes in spiritual things. The sad thing is the American male, if you look at the statistics, they're not in church. And the sad thing is many who claim to be Christians are not in church. And then you wonder why your children go astray. You wonder why you have difficulties financially. You wonder why the world is continuing to go down a course uh, that is more and more corrupt. And it is because of the fact we forgot that our lives need to emulate the reality of Christ increasing in us. He must increase. John understood that principle and John held to that principle that Christ had to uh, uh, increase in his life and the significance of John himself would be diminished by the reality of the increase of Christ. And men, may I challenge you with this, that the reality of who you are is less important than the reality of who Christ is in you. And so he must increase. And I thought about the integrity of Job. There's two men that are mentioned in the scriptures of men who were above and beyond the reality of others. And in Job was one of them in Job chapter 1 and verse 8. 
The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. See, the integrity of Job was no matter what everyone else was doing, Job would stand in his integrity and for his God, and God identifies him as being greater than any other men on the face of the earth. And uh, so Job is, uh, is attacked by Satan to try to mar his integrity. And in Job in 1 and 22, it says, And in all this Job sinned not, nor charged God falsely. I challenge you men, listen, let's be men for God and let's stand for God here regardless of what goes on. Just because you're having trouble in your life or problems in your life or difficulties in your life does not mean God has abandoned you. And Job was being attacked by Satan, but yet in the attack of Satan, Job maintained his integrity and he absolutely would refuse uh, to complain or gripe or charge his God falsely. In chapter 2, in verse 9 of Job, it says, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thy integrity, curse God, and die? Boy, she was a real support. She certainly was not providing a safe zone for him. Amen. But he said unto her, look how he responded to her. He said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. And so when you are called of God, to stand for God and live for God and be a person of integrity that's above board and beyond what others are doing, the integrity of Job. In Job chapter 31 and verse 5, it says, And if I walked with vanity, or if my foot hath hastened to deceit, let me be weighed and in even balance that God may know mine integrity. See, Job was, uh, was concerned about his walk with God and his commitment to his God and irregardless whether God blessed him or whether uh, he would suffer persecution for his faith in his God, he would not charge God falsely. That's a man who is increasing in the reality and knowledge of who Christ is and Christ is increasing in his life. John the Baptist is said of John, in Matthew chapter 11, in verse 10, says, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Fairly I say unto you, Among them that are born of woman, uh, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he." It is stated of Job that he was a man who was a man of integrity before his God. And it is stated of John the Baptist that he was a man of those that were born among women. There was none that was greater than John. But John's conclusion was he must increase. And I want to challenge you fellows today with the reality that Christ must increase in your life. These are not days for men to stay home from church. I mean Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and yea, out on visitation through the week and sharing your faith with others. These are not days for men to give up. These are men, days where men need to let Christ be increased in his life in a way that people can see it. 
Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, the desire of God is for each and every one of us, men, women, boys, and girls, to allow Christ to mold us, allow God to shape us into the very image of Jesus Christ. And as we become more like Christ, the more that people see Christ in us, he must increase. So let's think of a few things here this morning. There's a heavenly example and an earthly model that we can follow in this matter of Christ being increased in our life. Oh, uh, God's care, we think of God's care for creation. You know, God had a plan. God had a design for his creation. Uh, God systematically created everything that there is on the face of this earth. You read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. You see God's plan. You see God's structure. You see the organization of God. You see how God created everything to develop and reproduce after its kind, just that statement in itself eliminates the possibility of evolution. Because everything God created reproduces after its own kind. It does not reproduce and become something else. And so God has a plan and a purpose. God cares for his creation, whether it be the plants of the field or the waters in the seas or the animals in the seas or whether it be the well, man uh, on the face of the earth. God always has a plan and a purpose and he watches over and cares for his creation. And, uh, you know, so if that's, that's true, and I believe it's true, then if I'm going to be able to be a proper individual in the world in which I live and caring for everything that God has blessed me with, Christ must increase. Man is depraved in his heart. And uh, because of his depravity, he's wicked, he's sinful, he's destructive. And so we must allow ourselves to be hid in Christ so that we can follow the example of God in caring for the very things that God has entrusted to us. You are a steward of the world in which we live. You are a steward of the grace of God that's been revealed to you. You are a steward of the family that God has entrusted to you. And so how can we manage that and care for it following the example of God our Father? The only way we can do that is Christ must increase in our life. And so God's care for creation. There's a God's molding of Israel. Uh, it's an amazing thought that God would take such time and such lengths to be able to create Israel and mold Israel into what he would desire for them to be. And may I say God is not done with Israel because Israel not, is not what she's supposed to be with her God right now. That's for sure. And so we think of the careful call of Abraham. God would call Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He said, come out of the land of the Arab Chaldees unto the land that I shall show thee. And I will make thee a great nation. And uh, God was very meticulous in directing Abraham to come out of his home country, to go to the place where God would call him to be, and God would use him as the foundation of a people that would literally uh, become the apple of God's eye. 
They would become the people through whom the Messiah would come. They would become the people that we would uh, look to as signs of the return of Christ. I mean, it was all began by God's careful call of Abraham to follow him and he would make a nation of them. And so God's molding of Israel shows us he's interested in molding our lives. I see the meticulous training of Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, God would call Moses to bring the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And uh, uh, God tells Abraham, I'm sorry, he tells Moses, And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. After that, he will let you go. And uh, listen, it was not about Moses' ability to lead people. It was not about Moses' power to persuade the Pharaoh. It was about God training Moses on how to trust the living God to be able to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. Uh, Moses would be in Egypt for 40 years of his life. He would be on the backside of the desert 40 years preparing to bring the children of Israel, God preparing him to bring the children of Israel out of bondage. And God would call him and train him and remind him the way that you'll be victorious is because of the fact that I am the one that will drive you out of the land of Egypt. And how we need, it is necessary for us to allow God to mold us and train us and prepare us on how we're to respond to this world in which we're living in. It's an amazing thought. This world is becoming so aggressive and so oppressive to everything that is a Christian, that is Christian, is amazing. But th these are days, men, we need men with backbones who be a Moses, who will stand up and say, I might not have much, but I got a rod. Who will stand up and say, I might not be much, but I got my God on my side. I might not be the one who can change things in life, but there's a God in who may if he'll increase in my life, things will change in the world in which we live. The meticulous training of Moses. I see the encouragement of Joshua. When Moses would come to the end of his leadership and to the end of his life in leading the children of Israel, God would raise up a leader after him by the name of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, in verse 6, God encourages Joshua, Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto the fathers to give them. Uh, God is looking, I really believe, for some Joshua's. God's looking for some young men who are willing to take a stand on the authority of the word of God and realize that God is the one who's going to strengthen them and enable them to overcome the wiles of the devil and the corruptness of this world. But I know this, it took a Moses to train a Joshua. And it takes us men who are alive right now to train the next generation to live for God. Let's stop worrying about training our boys to become all these other things. Why don't we stop training our girls to be business people and all this, that, and the other? Why don't we train our young people to be husbands and wives and dads and moms and Christians who live for the Lord? I know that's strange in 2019, but that's what the Christian life is about. We say, well, I don't understand what's going on. Christ is not increasing in our life. 
Christ is not being elevated in our life. And so our focus, our desires are completely changed from what God had designed and planned. And so the molding of Israel involved the encouragement of Joshua. I thought it involved also the anointing of David. You know, Israel said they wanted a king to have a king over them like the other nations around them. But God anointed the one he chose was David. And I just know this, that God will be exalted and God will be uh, seen in our lives if we'll live in reference to the anointing of God. And let God once again have his will and way in us. So I see a heavenly example, an earthly model through God's care for his creation and God's molding of Israel. And if God was that actively involved in those things, how much more is it necessary for him to be that actively involved in our life? I see God sending Jesus into this world. His only begotten son came into this world, and we see Christ interacting with the world in which he lived. Uh, we see Jesus as he calls his disciples. I love reading through the Gospels and see as Jesus comes to each one of his disciples and calls them and declares them, come and follow me. And I just believe there is a call that's going out today, come and follow me. God wants our young people to come and follow him. He wants us in the church to come and follow him. He is not calling us to follow other things of the world. He is calling us to follow him. We say, oh, we want the Lord to be lifted up. You're not lifting up the Lord if you're chasing after the world. We need to follow who Christ is. So he calls his disciples. We see Jesus as he cares for their needs. And oftentimes we think, well, you know, God can't take care of me. And may I say he can take care of you. I've watched God miraculously do things in my life. I've heard testimonies from others who God has miraculously cared for them in their lives. And listen, if we'll just follow the call of God, God will take care of the details in life. I can tell you that right now. I never dreamed when I left to go to Bible college that I would ever be standing in Ocean County Baptist Church and preaching. I can guarantee you that. Never in my life did I ever dream that. Uh, not, not, I, never in my life did I ever dream that I would have gone to Oakhurst and started the church or went down to Dividing Creek or been on the mission field. All these things were beyond my control. All these things were beyond the realm of me being able to meet the needs to do those things. But God in his call provides for the needs. And we need to allow Christ to be exalted in our life so that we might be able to see our needs met. We see Christ teaching them. And uh, there is so much I could develop off of this thought. But Christ took time to sit down with his disciples privately. And listen, fellows, you can go ahead and you minister in the church and you can teach in Sunday school and VBS and do all these things around the church and whatever. And we need you to do that. And we rejoice that you do those things. But you need to take private time to sit down and teach your children the word of God. You need private time to sit down and, and train up your children in the way that they should go and not compromise on things. When they, the world starts to draw them, don't compromise on that. Stay firm, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Uh, why? Because it trains your young people, it trains your children that this is important to live our Christian life this way. 
And then we see his love, how he loves them. And uh, how Christ loved his disciples, how he had uh, uh, sat at the tomb of Lazarus and weep over the death of Lazarus. We see the tenderness of Christ and his love for his disciples. And listen, men that are walking with the Lord and allowing Christ to increase will, will show forth the praises of God in a way that you'll love like the world cannot comprehend. And so, God's sending of Jesus. I see God's call for fathers. And we want to make an application of this. All oh, these principles of God in his creation in Israel and in the life of Christ. God has a call for fathers to work hard. You know, he told us in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19 that the curse upon the man would be, have to live by the sweat of his brow. And so, you work hard to provide care. And uh, proper care and provision for your children and for your family. Uh, we, have, we have developed a society where everybody thinks they are entitled to get something for nothing. And I'm going to tell you right now, nobody gets anything for nothing. You want to get ahead. You want to be able to provide for your family. Bless God, get out of bed in the morning and go to work. And work hard. You say, well, man, that's really encouraging. That's right. Christ rose up early in the morning. Christ traveled through the days preaching. Christ would be up late at night teaching uh, the word of God. I'm telling you right now, there is no room for laziness in the church of Jesus Christ. So get up and work hard. I like that point. <coughs> Call the fathers for honest wisdom. Honest wisdom in uh, Ephesians Chapter, uh, where am I here? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Honest wisdom. Now I say, I wanted to put it honest wisdom because I'm not talking about wisdom that the world has. I'm talking about wisdom that comes from God. That's honest wisdom. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That deals with correction and instruction. Give your children wisdom. Train your children. Don't expect your children to know something. Assume that they don't know and give them the instruction that is necessary. James says in James 1.5, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not. And so God has given you the ability to lead your family and lead in the church and lead in your community by getting the wisdom of God and sharing that wisdom with others. And so work hard, honest wisdom, and then a holy love. And a holy love is this, a proper love that is developed in the same sense of how God loves us. So how does God love us? First of all, it's unconditional. Uh, here in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, your children will do wrong, and yes, your children will fail, but bless God, you don't stop loving your children. Uh, you love your family, and you care for them, and you provide for them because of the fact you've experienced the love of God. So let the love of Christ increase in your life. And you'll be able to love unconditionally. But it's also sacrificial. God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A love is a biblical love is a sacrificial love. We're supposed to love our enemies. If you're going to love your enemy, that means you're going to endure the wrongs that are done against you. You're, we're, we're supposed to love the lost. If we're going to love the lost, we're going to be honest with them and share the good news that Christ came into this world. And so it's a sacrificial type of love, whatever it costs us to do to exercise our love, we're doing. It's also equal. Because God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any shall perish. For God is no respecter of persons. The worst thing that you can do is show preference in your family. The worst you can do is show preference within the church, within the body of Christ. Somebody may come in here and get saved, may have no money whatsoever, have nothing. But they're on the same plane as someone who has a lot of money. Uh, somebody may come in well-dressed and someone else come in dressed rag in ragged clothes. They're on the same plane. Somebody may have grown up in a Christian home and others may come in that, that have been on drugs and have uh, been prostitutes or whatever it may be. We're on the same plane. There's equality in Christ Jesus. The stupid bill they just passed in the house on the Equality Act, uh, they don't know what equality is. Equality is not condemning one person and elevating another. Equality is you treat everybody the same. And I'm thankful God treats all of us the same. Christ needs to be exalted. He needs to increase in our life. So we see the heavenly example and the earthly model. We see the spiritual versus the carnal. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us that the spirit is contrary to the flesh and uh, notice, first of all, he deals with the work of the flesh. And the work of the flesh is a carnal response. Now, Paul deals with the whole book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians dealing with the carnality that was in the Corinthian church. And listen, churches are failing and they're falling apart. And it's because of the fact that they are embracing carnality. They're responding to the flesh. I'm praying about doing a series on common day trends that are carnal within the church. And I'm shocked. I am really shocked as I do more study and more research to see the trends that are going on in churches. I can, these, these things weren't, weren't even practiced by unsaved people that are being practiced in the church today. And what is it? It's a work of the flesh. It is a carnal response in Galatians 5 in verse 17 says, for the, fle uh, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary, the one towards the other, so that we cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifested, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, Variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, man, I'm going to tell you, these things in that list, you need to get out of your life. 
those things in that list that are in the churches of, in, of America in 2019 need to be taken out. They need to be repented of because they are nothing more than a carnal response to feed the lust of the flesh. So the carnal versus the spiritual. The fruit of the spirit is a spiritual response. In Galatians chapter 6, after saying those things, in verse 22, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. You cannot, you cannot with any sense of any reason whatsoever, read those verses and say there is a diametric opposition of the flesh and the Spirit. Because this is the works of the flesh. This is what takes place when you're carnal, but this is the reality of what takes place when you're spiritual. And so if you're struggling in the carnality aspect, then you must allow Christ to increase so you can overcome it with a spiritual response. Now I'm going to tell you that doesn't fit in too many times in our lifestyles. He must increase. There's the acceptance of a father's love. When you think about Christ increasing in our life, there is an acceptance of a father's love. Here's the problem. There's rejection. People deal with rejection. Rejection always leads to bondage. You can read, we don't have time to look up all these verses, but Judges chapter 2, verse 16 through 19, especially verse 19, deals with the fact that God's love, he would raise up judges in Israel uh, to deliver Israel out of their bondage, and they would be delivered out of their bondage. But when the judge would die and was no longer there, Israel rejected the love of God and fell back into bondage again. See, people think, well, I can do better. I can live a better life if I just reject the love of God. If I just move out of the church, if I just refuse to follow the things that are in the scriptures, I'm going to be better off. And reality is they fall into more bondage. Bondage upon bondage upon bondage. There's a lack of trust. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 14 through 18, deals with the children of Israel not being willing to trust their God. And that leads to a loss of fellowship. And when you don't trust God, you won't let Christ be exalted in your life. It causes you not just to reject God, but it causes you to a point where you just don't believe that God can take care of you. You just don't believe that God can move in your life as he moves in somebody else's life. And as a result of it, you lose fellowship with other believers. You lose your fellowship with God Almighty. And then it leads into rebellion. And rebellion leads to despising the one who loves you. Israel had receded so far away from their God and rebelled against everything that their God was, they forgot of the love that God had for them. And people rebel against the Lord, and as a result of it, they forget there is a God in heaven who cares for you. Oh, I'm not going to church, so and so offended me. Yeah, but you forgot that God loves you. And God established the church. The church is the organization through which we meet with God as a corporate body. It doesn't matter whether you offend me or not. I'm coming to church because I enjoy the love of God. He must increase in my life so that other people in my life won't put me down. 
Then, if there's rebellion, then there's closed ears. And Zechariah 7, 13 just leads to unconcern. God said, because you wouldn't listen to me, then when you cry out to me, I'm not going to listen to you. And the response of the people was they didn't care whether God listened or not. What a sad, what a sad place to be in in the Christian life is refusing to respond to the accepting of the Father's love. The only way that you enjoy the love of God completely will be through the reality of Christ being increased in your life. Um, in Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, we read of the prodigal son, and he experienced exactly what I'm going through as he dethroned the reality of his relationship with his father. In Luke chapter 15, verse 12, it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. Notice the disrespect to the father. Father, give me what's mine. The disrespect to the father. Notice the disregard of the love that the father has for his son. You say, how do you know that? Because the father loved him so much, he actually divides the money up and gives it to him. Notice that he's unwilling to surrender to serving his father in the family and business and all that's going on there. All he wanted was his own selfish desires. Give me what's mine. Divide it and give it to me so I can do my own thing because I don't care how much you love me. I don't care how much I surrender to you. I don't care at all about your authority in the home. Just give me what's mine. The father certainly is not increased in the prodigal son's life in verse 12. However, you get down to verse 18. And may I say there is a verse 18 in every one of our lives. And in verse 18 says, I will rise after he had been in the pig's pen, lost everything that he had. He said, I will rise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, there is a different response. Verse 19, it says, And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I see that this prodigal son who disrespected and refused to enjoy the love of the father, now the love of the father is increased in his life. This son who disrespected his father, wanted nothing to do with the authority of his father, now all of a sudden his respect to this father, for his father has increased. This man who desired to have his own way and do his own thing, refusing to surrender to his father, now is increasing in his desire to surrender to his father. He's not even desiring to be a son, just call me a servant. He's completely surrendered everything. And why did that take place? Because of the fact that the father was increased. The desire, the understanding, the interpretation, the concept of the father was increased. And it changed the whole mental attitude of this prodigal son. Dave, come here for a minute. Yeah, come on up. <clears throat> 
Don't be afraid. I'm not going to make you preach. I was putting this message together, and I was thinking to myself, how can I illustrate that Christ must increase? Dave's going to be Jesus, amen? Oh, boy. And I'm just Mike Waggle. I get saved. I call on the Lord. The Lord forgives me. The Lord comes into my heart. And so just stand right in back of me. Stand right there. Just stand right there. I say, I'm a Christian. I have Jesus in my heart. Nobody can see him. He's back here. Oh, but I love the Lord. I, I want to be a testimony for God. But you know what? I want to go over here and do this. And so what I do, you come with, follow behind me. I drag Jesus along. I go over here and hang out with unsaved people. I go over here and go dancing. I go over here drinking. I go hanging out with coworkers and they're cussing. I start cussing with them. All along, they don't know I have Jesus with me, but he's with me. Because I've hit him in my heart. He doesn't have the preeminence. He hasn't increased. But now I say, I really, Lord, I'm under conviction. God, I've got, I've got to start doing right. And God, I need victory in my life. I've got to overcome the works of the flesh. And I've got to overcome the lusts of the flesh. God, I want a spiritual response in my life. And Jesus says, I must increase. All of a sudden, I start letting Jesus come out front. He's in front. Wherever he goes, he's leading me. You can see him, but wait a minute, you can still see me. You can see my personality. You can see my character. But now, wherever the Lord goes, that's where I'm going. Whatever the Lord wants done, that's what I'm going to do. And the people can see who I am before, get it back of me. <laughs> before, all they could see is me, who's just with my mouth saying, Jesus is my Savior. And Christ did not have the preeminence. But wait a minute, God's called me to be a Christian man. God's called me to lead as a Christian man. And so I must have Christ in the front. He must have the preeminence. Now my question is this, man. What position does Jesus have in your life? Does he put behind so that you can have the preeminence? Or is he the one out front who is determining and directing and and leading the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. How is that? Because the Lord takes the steps, and I follow in his steps. But my life isn't ordered by the Lord when I put myself in front of him. And I know this. John understood this very simple principle. He must increase, and I must decrease. Now, folks, that goes for every one of us in this room. Where do you have Jesus positioned in your life? Is he in the forefront? Or is he just some person that you've tagged on in the back as a ticket to get you to heaven? That's about the prayer. Okay. Our heads bowed and eyes closed.
He must increase. Let me ask you, how much has Christ increased in your life? Are you willing, are you willing this morning to say, Pastor, I am going to, with a spirit of grace and truth, allow Christ to have the preeminence in my life. There's some things I've got to get hid in Christ. I got to repent of these things. And I just need prayer about that. Would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? So I really need to get the Lord where he needs to be preeminent in my life. It'll make a difference. It'll make a difference in your spirit, in your joy, in your relationships, in your study of the word, in your witness and testimony to others. It makes a difference what position Christ has in you. He must increase. You might be here this morning and you say, I'm struggling. I thought I was a Christian, but I don't know if I am a Christian. And I need to be saved. I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Why don't you slip up your hand so I can pray for you? Say, I'm not sure I'm saved. I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you in that hand. God bless you. The Lord wants you to be saved. He wants you to trust him completely. And when you trust him as your savior, he comes into your heart. And I'd love to pray a prayer of salvation. Would that be okay to pray with you right now? And you can pray yourself. You just follow me in this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And Lord, I know I need the grace of God to save me. Lord, I'm asking you now to come into my heart and be my personal savior. And God, I'll surrender all to you, allowing you to be the one that people see in my life. Dear Jesus, please be my savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you pray that prayer with me? If you prayed that prayer with me, then according to the authority of the word of God, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God, in his grace, saved your soul this morning. Father, I thank you so much for working in our life. I'm thankful that you can have the preeminence. I'm thankful, oh God, I'm so thankful that you're willing to save us. You're not willing that any should perish. And God, I pray that you would help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. He must increase. May he take the preeminence in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's